Welcome to this Monday, November 2nd edition of the Point B Podcast. Today is, well, not the day. Tomorrow is the day, but it feels like the day. The news cycle is going crazy today. There are news articles everywhere that just obviously they're a last-ditch effort to sway voters in either or direction. Uh, So we're going to go over a little bit of the polling, not super in-depth because obviously the polling was completely wrong in 2016, but we'll look at some of the the more specific demographic-type statistics that we're seeing today leading up to the election. Uh, We'll also go through Glenn Greenwald quitting The Intercept. You'll recall Glenn Greenwald, um, he and The Intercept, they actually won a Pulitzer Prize in 2014 by working with uh, Edward Snowden to expose the secret surveillance by the NSA. So that is a super important story. We're also going to go into a little bit of Tucker Carlson's. Uh, He had some documents sent to him about Hunter Biden that he said were extremely um, damning, I think were his words. Uh, They went missing within the postal system. He didn't name exactly which uh, postal carrier it was. Um, But I heard this morning that the documents have been found. So we'll look a little bit into what those documents might contain. And then uh, over the weekend, I experienced something that I thought was brand new, but it turns out it's been out since 2018. It's the movie Fahrenheit 451. It's on HBO. And I got to say, it's one of the best you can almost call it like a, what is it, like a docu-pic. Um, HBO did a phenomenal job of laying out the case uh, that even in a very modern world, almost especially in a modern world, our freedoms of speech are being violated, our histories are being uh, rewritten or erased altogether. Big tech is playing an even bigger role in our lives than maybe we, uh, maybe they're what, what, what we're willing to believe. But before we get into all of that mess, um, i got a few, not, not sponsors, but some shout-outs I want to give you, and uh, we'll get into that in just a minute. Stay tuned. So, welcome. Episode 2. We're hoping to hit the ground running pretty hard with this. We're, we're coming out uh, with this podcast right in the election season. So I'm really excited. Either way, whatever happens with the election, worst case scenario, we're probably going to have some pretty good content for the podcast. And, uh, and we'll see what happens as far as the health of the nation goes. But uh, before we get into it, I do want to shout out a few people who I would say this podcast would not be possible without. First and foremost, Black Rifle Coffee Company. Again, they are not a sponsor of the show, but I wake up every single morning with my Black Rifle Coffee. My wife drinks the Just Black. That's your basic black cup of coffee, a medium roast. I've been, um, what's it called? It's their five alarm coffee, which is another medium roast. Um, it's some insanely cool packaging and, uh, hopefully this crinkling's not messing up the uh, microphone, but, um, this is a premium roast coffee. They, they don't roast the coffee until they have an order for it. Um, they source it from original farms all over South America. Uh, this specifically, um, this five alarm coffee is uh, inspired by men and women of the red line. So our firefighters, um, obviously black rifle coffee works very closely with uh, veteran groups, first responder groups, law enforcement. All, they love their Leos and they're made up of uh, LEO former and current 
so it's a great company. They are America's Coffee. And again, the freshest cup of coffee you're going to get by mail. I mean, really even in person. You know, there's a lot of local coffee shops that I, I go to every now and then. I, I like working out of a coffee shop. I like supporting local businesses. But something that you can tell right away is just the freshness of that bean. And you've got what are what are called rebaggers. And so they buy coffee from a major roaster. It's packaged up, shipped, unpackaged, repackaged, branded, shipped, many times unpackaged again, rebranded, repackaged, and shipped. So by the time it's sitting on your shelf at the grocery store, you're talking about weeks, sometimes a month old beans that have a technical shelf life in the retail space of months. So you don't know how old those beans are. Old beans give you acidity, which is your upset stomach. It's that bitter aftertaste. When you You'll notice a difference right away, I'm telling you, with your first taste of Black Rifle coffee. I put mine, I I buy the whole bean, I grind it myself right when I'm about to make a cup, I put it in my espresso maker, and just immediately the smoothness smoothness of that flavor is fantastic. And I got to say, the Five Alarm, I've tried probably six or seven other roasts. Five Alarm is my absolute favorite right now. Silencer Smooth is another one, obviously just black. Uh, beyond black if you're looking for that darker roast um, so they got a little bit of something for everybody they got the the coffee club which i'm a, a member of so every month i get my favorite roasts shipped to me and uh even through um through the podcast and business i have some some clients through another business that i actually send coffee to them as sort of a thank you for their business and they absolutely love it they're big coffee drinkers and uh, they have told me the quality is just sensational with this black rifle coffee so again check them out blackriflecoffee.com i don't have a promo code or anything to throw your way to help you out there but again is it is a premium roast coffee you're going to tell the difference immediately it's worth a try and if you do end up trying it let me know um they work out of Salt Lake City, Utah. I think they got a Tennessee uh, roasting facility, but they actually just moved their corporate headquarters to San Antonio, Texas, which is right up the road for me. Um, and right up the road in Texas means about 20 minutes. But uh, that's the lingo here in Texas. Um, so we're super excited to have them here locally. And they just opened up a, a coffee shop main street of my local town. So yeah, I'm, I'm in prime black rifle coffee country right now. And I I've, I've been following these guys since early, early on when man, CEO Evan Hafer, I think he was still roasting out of his garage when I started Lincoln, uh, Lincoln listening to, uh, some podcasts that he was on and, uh, started following those guys. And I, I just, it's been one of those companies that it's, it's really cool to see them grow and see all the amazing, great things they do for their employees. And again, for veterans organizations, um, locally warriors heart is a, uh, veterans, um, recovery facility does amazing nonprofit work. And, uh, the guys at black rifle support those guys heavily. So, uh, if you love America, you love coffee, try it out. Black rifle coffee company. Other than that, one notable shout out I will give. Oh, and you know what? On black rifle. If you get the chance to get a bag, oh, this smells right when you smell it. I, again, I get the whole bean and it's just, it's phenomenal. It's a great, great smelling coffee as well as tasting. But uh, a, a company that I've worked with recently on several projects, including this one, um, a company that I've worked with on a couple of recent projects, including this podcast, uh, the intro music that you hear, I got it from premiumbeat.com. 
and uh, it, it's just a it's by Shutterstock. It's just a you know your regular stock music, just like their stock photos. It's a stock music site, but for anybody out there in the creative space who needs stock audio. Um, it's a great site, but beyond that, I had a, a snafu where I was purchasing some audio, clicked on the wrong one, just a stupid mistake. It was a 40 buck mistake, whatever. Um, I was willing to eat it, but I thought might as well send a, a quick email. So I emailed just their customer support line. Within a couple of minutes, they refunded me and they were super cool to chat with through email. And uh, so I, I made sure I, I gave them a shout out on the reviews. And uh, if you need that type of work, if you just need some stock audio, be it for social media, for a website or a project for a client, they're a great company. Again, that's premiumbeat.com. So check them out. And now uh, let's get into it. I'm super excited about some of the stories we got today. Obviously, the election tomorrow. Um, the first story I really want to talk about is this USA Today story about um, the Latino influence in Texas uh, over the election coming up. Now, obviously, every four years, or really every two years, if you want to cons- uh, take into account midterms, uh, everybody's always talking about, is Texas going to flip blue this time? Is Texas going blue? Well, we had the Cruz and, um, oh, what's his name? Roberto Beto. Um <sighs> typical just another white guy that he he, i remember everybody making fun of him because he was trying to be beto whenever he was doing his little uh, press conferences and stuff and he's just a typical little white guy but anyways he's he was pandering to the local latino community and uh but uh, that race itself was a very tight race in southern texas um considering past elections so it gave even more fuel to this fire of flipping texas blue you got a lot of outside states especially obviously california pouring people into texas that it 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 could flip um according to what they're saying but this story is talking about specifically the latino influence on this coming election so to start out, I think the first article I want to get into is this USA Today article from this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me, my throat is a little scratchy today. Uh, it's ta- it's called Why Latinos Will Play a Critical Role in Determining the Election Winner in Texas. So like we said, obviously, Latino vote is a massive segment of the of the Texas voting base, if you want to call it that. Uh, obviously an ever increasing voting base and a lot of, um, I forgot how the article refers to them, but a lot of, um, immigrants are receiving their first opportunity to vote this year. Um, I think 30% of all eligible voters, um, in Texas are Hispanic. And so I think that we run into a little bit of a, of a mind game here where, especially politicians and people within the news media, people of color, minority groups are, are almost historically not even that they typically do vote Democrat. It's almost like they're supposed to vote Democrat. And, um, we had a 50 cents girlfriend or I I say 50 cent. I know people are going to make fun of me for that. (laughs) 50 cent, whatever you want to call them. Um, what is it? His girlfriend or something came out the other day saying that she had to remind him that he's black. He's supposed, he's supposed to vote Democrat. And he had just come out saying that because of the taxes, he didn't want to become 20 cent, uh, because Biden's tax increases would obviously hurt the rich. 
And so, uh, so he was saying he was going to vote Trump. And uh, so, so she came out, of course, social media tore her apart for it, which obviously they should. But um, getting back to the article, there's this shift happening where it's not that, or at least it's not just that there are more minority groups switching from Democrat to Republican. It's that overall voter turnout among minority groups has been fairly low, Hispanic groups to be included. So it's not that the, that Republicans are gaining votes that the Democrats are losing. It's that of the increase in those minority groups of people that will vote, a majority of them are going to the Republicans. So that would be new voters within minority groups. Um, the article, obviously, this, this is an insanely long article. They go into a lot of polling, especially 2016 polling. Um so, like, uh, here we go. According to 2016 exit polls, Hillary Clinton ble- beat Trump by 27 points among Hispanics in Texas, 61 to 34%, on her way to losing the state by 9 points, narrowing what was a 16-point margin in the 2012 presidential election and 12 points in 2008. So she she did close that gap a little bit. And what they're saying is in order for Joe Biden to win Texas, which... I don't even know when the last time that happened was, but in order for Joe Biden to win Texas, he's going to have to reach and slightly exceed the watermark set by Hillary Clinton in 2016. So, like I said, there is so much polling and statistics that this article gets into, but I want to just hit the highlight points. So the first highlight point that they try to really dive into is generational differences. So you've got... Like I'll I'll speak from from my perspective specifically. Um, I've got on my very Hispanic and proud side of my family, which if you're if you're Hispanic in Texas, you probably got some Republicans on one side, Democrats on the other. One side is Latino and proud. The other side is I was born here in America and I am an American. I'm not a Hispanic. I'm not a Mexican American. I am an American, and I, I am. A product of both of those. Um, on one side of my family, I've got army veterans, and they speak Spanish fluently. But what passed down to my father was a pride in America, so I was never taught Spanish. Kind of sucks. I kind of wish I was at this point, but it was very much like a um, you know English is the language, and so it, it's up to the family to assimilate to adopt American practices, and we don't want our kids to be. Uh, in, in, inhibited by um, having Spanish as their first language and then of course English as a second language I wish I'd been taught both but I wasn't English is my language if you couldn't tell um, then they get into they, they kind of highlight two different people in this article one person pro-Trump one person not um, so going back to my example on the other side of my family I've got people that are ultra Democrat. I wouldn't call them leftists, and we, we can get into some of the terminology differences there at some point, but I wouldn't call them a leftist. They're not advocating for leftist Democrat liberal causes, but they are voting Democrat because it's that, um, that stereotype of the minority groups voting Democrat and not so much 
red. Now, San Antonio, Texas, which is where I'm from, where a lot of my family is at, or I guess I'd say all of my family, um, we're all right here. And um, San Antonio being military city is a very it's strange to me. I think Bear County, which is where San Antonio is at, is one of the bluest, if not the bluest counties in the state. Yet we've got so much active duty military in our area. I can't help but believe that's going to help Trump's causes because whereas the the country is pretty evenly split between Republican and Democrat, um, nationwide, more momentum is shifting to Republican. But within the military community, I saw an article in a poll the other day from, I think it was Military Times magazine that was showing, I think, almost 60 percent of active duty military was pro-Trump. So there is a little bit heavier um, influence there, probably because the fact that Donald Trump has been so pro-military, so wanting to build up the military, being strong, having a strong presence in the world, while at the same time making a very conscious effort to pull back from our presence as far as numbers go in the world. We still have a presence, obviously, but we're scaling back the amount of people we have. And uh, Donald Trump, this is just a fact, is the first president in a long time. I forgot how many years it was in the article I read, but the first president in a long time to not start a new war, which is pretty phenomenal. Like if you really think about it in the modern world that we live in, that we're, there's still wars being waged and there's still people being sent to die. And there's still politicians that are capitalizing off of that. And Donald Trump has been the first one to, to, to really make that effort. And Donald Trump's been on record for years and years and years about all the senseless, pointless wars that we've been in. And, and so it's, it's really cool to see whether you like him or not at, at bare minimum, you have to accept the, how amazing it is to see that our troops are coming home. We're not getting entangled into new, new wars, new battles needing to be fought. And that's a great thing. So the next thing the article gets into is the gender gap. And obviously the polling shows that women are just not as favorable towards Trump as men might be. And I mean, that's just the article uses the phrase machismo. Uh, Trump has been one of the first presidents. Well, I guess Bush was kind of like a man's man type president, but Trump's just been the, from the locker room talk to just his over overall kind of aggressiveness within conversation, obviously within debate. Um, But what the article does point out is that Hispanic women, while they, and I'm quoting the article here, even if many Hispanic women might be more liberal in their outlook, when it comes time to vote, couples come to the polls together and they vote together, which obviously there's plenty of truth in that. Um, Donald Trump has been making of recent a a bigger push towards towards the women, obviously, and towards uh, suburban women, saying that he is saving suburbia i think we went into that a little bit on episode one and so the the gender gap i'm not entirely sure how that's going to play in on the hispanic uh vote but uh the article does go on to say that trump has said things about the lgbtq community trump has said things about the latino community trump has said things about the black community trump has said things about women so at this point, he has essentially blatantly disrespected every community except white men. Voting for him, you're voting against every single community that he's attacked. So, I mean, oh, geez, there's so much there, but 
um, th- there's a few things that people in the media love to point out, and they love to say that Donald Trump is racist. He calls he called um, all immigrants, Mexican immigrants, rapists. Which, please, please don't just accept that on its face. Go and actually listen to the audio. It exists. It's a simple Google search, and you can see that Donald Trump clearly had a separation between normal immigrants and the fact that there are drug smugglers weapons smugglers and people traffickers sex traffickers that are exploiting the holes within our immigration system and under trump that has decreased significantly and i think that that while yes okay there's less people that get to come to america and experience the american dream technically but at the same time if you're if you're in a boat I even call it a boat. America is not a boat. America is a freaking yacht. It's a it's a massive, massive boat with so many people in it performing different functions um, towards the, the benefit of society. And if there are leaks in that boat, you can say, "Well, water is good. We need water." Like, yeah, but you're 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 in a flotation device that has a compromised ability to float. And I think that's a good metaphor to look at the the southern border as. Sure, great people can come across, which is why Donald Trump always said we're going to have a strong, tall wall with a big, beautiful door. We want people to come in. We want the best and the brightest of the world, and we want to protect people from uh, oppressive regimes and economic instability and economic wars. You know, South America is just – it's terrible in many ways. So obviously people want to come here. We get that. That's part of being good. If you've got an amazing restaurant, you're not surprised – when a bunch of people show up wanting your food. But the bottom line is you can't just allow from a national security standpoint, keep the economy and social out, out of it. Just from a national security standpoint, you need to know who's coming in. You know, we all lock our doors. We all lock our windows. We all set the alarm at night. Uh, if you park at the mall in your car, especially around here, there's so many trucks get stolen. You lock your doors. So that concept works on a, on an individual level, but also on as far as the nation goes. And so what Donald Trump was highlighting is that, yes, there are good people coming in here. Obviously, there are men, women, and children who just want a better life and who, if they were allowed to stay here, I'm 100% certain that a bigger immigrant population is a bigger, not only a working population, but there are entrepreneurs that want to come here. There's, there are immigrants who want to come here and take advantage of the fact that they can determine their destiny here, and that that benefits all of society. But you have to also consider the fact that there are negative repercussions of allowing more people in. And you know, I can make fun of all day the people who were confused, I, is the best way to put it, when Donald Trump said that the, there are coyotes that are trafficking humans across the border. Um and there are a ton of people that thought he actually meant coyotes. However, um, obviously he didn't. The, the sex trafficking is insane. The trafficking of human people on our southern border is, is it's criminal. It's disgusting. And I've followed one organization called Operation Underground Railroad for a long time. And Tim Ballard, the guy who started it, who literally has put his life on the line, to save people from present day slavery. We're not talking about slavery 140, 150, 60 years ago. We're talking about present day slaves. And that is what he does is he helps liberate those people with other volunteers, operators, ex special forces, things like that, who go in there and literally put their lives on the line 
to save people from slavery, mainly children, from sex slavery. We're talking six-year-old boys and girls being used for their bodies. It's, it's evil is what it is. And he has testified multiple times to the fact that he could not even get a phone call returned under the Obama administration. Why that is, I don't know. I'm not going to point specifically to Obama, but it's there. Whoever was responsible for relaying that message from Tim up the chain of command to where it reaches Obama's ear, they obviously didn't see it as a priority above other things, whereas it did reach Trump's ear pretty early on within his presidency, and he's devoting a lot of resources to fighting sex trafficking. And, you know, if you want to see the slave market as what it is, you know, you've seen it in the movies, auction blocks, things like that. It's that's not historic. That's present day. It exists. So if you want to see that as as a market, as a supply and demand economy, the demand is in our country. It's from our country. Either they're buying and using the slaves here or they're, they're leaving here, going overseas, and doing it there, and then coming home. And you got to imagine, if they're going over there, and they experienced it, and they liked it, they're going to want to bring it back here. And so, um, anyways, I kind of went into a, down a tangent on that, but the Latino vote in Texas is going to be extremely consequential, and I'm anxious to see what's going to happen tomorrow. Um if it's going to go any way like it did in 2016, I mean, that's technically bodes well for Trump because Biden, like again, has got to do better than Hillary did in 2016. And I just honestly don't see that happening given the wave of momentum that is pushing Trump. His approval ratings are going higher and higher and higher as we're leading to election day. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. The Latino vote is the largest non-white voting block in this country, as the article puts it. And in a in a social, what's the word, climate that we're in, um, it's tough to say. It's it's there's so much information flowing around everywhere. Statistics that support any sort of hypothesis. Well, we'll just have to see, but. I really think there is a lot of truth to this generational difference. The gender gap, I don't see that as much within my own family, but a generational thing. There's the group that's always voted and always will vote blue. And then there's the younger group that is a lot more open-minded when it comes to who they vote for because the millennial generation, which I'm a part of, we're very much, don't tell me to, to do something simply because that's how it's always been done. We're very much asking why. And I think that there's, a, with especially with internet and social media, of course, the social media is silencing certain voices, and we can get into that on another episode, but um, there's a lot of information out there that my generation, I believe, is the most curious generation. Um, and so as they collect more and more information, we'll see what ends up happening. But I don't believe that my age group will vote blue simply because that's how their parents and grandparents voted. And I think that if anything, that move will play uh, to the benefit of Donald Trump. But again, we will see. Um, so I want to move on to the the next thing. I really want to get into this Glenn Greenwald story. So again, Glenn Greenwald, he's one, uh, he and um, the intercept, which is the, it's a article or a newspaper that he helped found. And, 
he's quitting the intercept because he's claiming that his articles regarding Hunter and Joe Biden and the, the laptop scandal, uh, that it's being censored. And, and so he goes in depth about agreements to, about censorship within the, the company that caused him to leave. And he's telling his story now. So I got two articles, one's a CNN business and then a New York post. Uh, I'm obviously going to read a little bit more from the New York post simply because they are really one of the only groups actually talking about the laptop scandal and they've they've paid the price for it on online as well as we've seen from the censorship from big tech um so getting into the article a little bit um it's kind of tough uh gauging how much of this information has actually disseminated into just the the main news stream and i think really the having that CNN business article here, I, I'm linking to it in the show notes. Uh, side note, all of the articles, whether it, or if it's a, um, like a YouTube video, this specific episode, I don't have any uh, clips to play. It's all just articles. So if you go into the show notes, whether it's on, on, uh, iTunes or you're in SoundCloud right now, I think it's just iTunes. And then I am using Buzzsprout. Um, so if you're, if you find me through Facebook, it's probably going to take you to a Buzzsprout media player, but I am approved on Apple Podcasts, so I'm on there as well. And that's a great place to leave reviews, if anybody was wondering. But the point of having both the CNN Business article and this New York Post article, if you look up both of them, there's a very significant uh, difference in the amount of content between the two. The CNN Business actually devotes a lot of time to just discrediting Glenn Greenwald. Uh, of course, they use the words of his, of the people he's accusing of censoring him. And that is their basis for the criticism of him, which to me, so that's a little bit of a bit of, fl- of a flawed concept. If you're, if you're trying to debunk something, you don't, if you're, if you're trying to, to say that Joe's innocent, you don't use Joe Biden's quote saying I'm innocent as proof of his innocence. So in, in this case, CNN is using the words of some of the co-founders and, and I think uh, an editor um, of The Intercept that, of course, Glenn Greenwald is accusing of censoring his article. They use their feelings and their words against Glenn Greenwald. So I don't see a whole lot of journalistic, um, what's the word, curiosity within the mainstream news media. But this um, New York Post article which if we're going to be talking about the laptop scandal, the New York Post are the ones who really broke this and they're the only ones who are actually talking about it, as I said before. So this article's got a lot of really good information. But getting into it, one of the first things that Glenn wants to, to talk about is the fact that The Intercept is full of people, full of writers and editors who are anti-Trump, not just Democratic-leaning or blue-leaning or they're a little bit upset with Donald Trump's tone. It's not that. Is He is saying that, that The Intercept is infiltrated by people who are anti-Donald Trump. To quote him, he says, the reality is the U.S. press has been planning for this moment for four years, cooking up justifications for refusing to report on newsworthy material that might help Donald Trump get reelected end quote that's glenn greenwald and i don't think there's really much of a case to the opposing viewpoint on that the new mainstream news media is definitely in the bag for biden 
And I say the word definitely, that's, that's my own perspective. You know, I'm not going to spend an hour and a half pulling out examples of that, but just, I think we all have a good feel for what's going on, whether you're following, using Facebook for news, or if you're using, I like to use Apple news or whatever it is you're using. If you're paying attention, there are very few articles out there that even present a positive, um, I don't know, frame of mind towards anything Donald Trump or his family. I think that's pretty obvious. There are just a, the few big players out there. You can look at the Blaze. You could look at the Daily Caller. You could look at um, the Daily Wire. I think not the Daily Caller. Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro, those guys, uh, Prager, you, the Candace Owens of the world, real thought leaders that don't love Donald Trump, but they'll report on facts versus putting out a, a news article that really is not even a news article does a hit piece against Donald Trump or uh, his family or people within his administration. So back to this article, basically what Glenn Greenwald is saying is that his, uh, the intercept, um, they don't want him to put this article out because it is, like, it is not in favor of Joe Biden. And it's not that it's not just, not in favor of Joe Biden is that it's not anti Donald Trump enough. Um, and so he's used uh, other outlets to release his thoughts and words to combat censorship, which a lot of, um, a lot of writers, journalists are doing so they can just get their word out there. And I think that's going to be the new form, to be honest. I think that what you and I, what I'm venturing down with this podcast is going to be the new form of news outlets I, I, the the big CNNs and all that I think they're going to go down the drain because people don't trust them so why would I invest time in, in going to CNN.com if I don't trust the banner of CNN anything underneath that banner I have to question so why would I do that so if you're unfamiliar with the laptop scandal basically in uh, I believe Delaware which is where the Bidens reside there was a laptop dropped off in, I think, 2019, and allegedly it was Hunter Biden who needed his MacBooks repaired or something. The person who received the laptops made a copy and sent that to, um, according to what I read, I, I think, man, I'm not sure if it went exactly to Trump's lawyer, Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, former mayor of New York, or if there was a middleman, but... It went at some point to Rudy Giuliani, who's investigated. He also sent it to the Delaware police. According to what he said, Delaware police, last I read, they said they have not received the, the hard drive. Rudy Giuliani says he turned it over. Uh, but then the other part to that is the FBI says they've had this since 2019 and uh, nothing has come of it. So there's a whole lot of, um, I guess you could say, drama that might unfold there. But bottom line is this is a laptop that's got original emails on it um, that if authentic, which at this point there are many sources that are helping to investigate this and they have said that it appears to be on the up and up. I'm not convinced yet because I have not read or seen any actual smoking gun evidence that this stuff is real, but if they are real – and of course, this, there's more in there than just the emails. I mean, there's pictures of Hunter Biden with a crack pipe. There's pictures of him in there with, um, I think, like his underage niece or something, which now they're also saying there could be some uh, abuse there. There's a whole lot of stuff that is alleging. And so 
I have to say right now, I don't want to get too too far into this laptop scandal without saying that it is not 100% confirmed. I am not presenting presenting to this to you as fact. I'm just telling you the, the backdrop of the story. Um, and so from there, you have to question, why isn't this a bigger story? If you have heard of this, where did you hear it from? I, I, would, I would challenge you to follow that paper trail backwards. If you've not heard of it, why? I would like for you to look up this article, the New York Post. This is not some, you know, this isn't somebody like me just writing an article and calling it a news article. This is a, one of the largest, I want to say I heard it was the fourth or second largest news media outlet in the country. One of the oldest, in fact, as well, um, from back in the founding of our country, this media outlet has existed. So bottom line, there is, I believe, enough smoke in this story to say, well, maybe there's fire. You know, I mean, you can't say if there's smoke, there's fire, but there's enough where it's like, can we at least be a little bit curious about it? Well, no. If, If you're asking big tech, if you're asking most of the mainstream media, the answer is no. You cannot be curious about this. People have lost their jobs already over this. And my question or my challenge is read the article from the New York Post. Glenn Greenwald says mainstream media is desperate to see Trump lose. Uh, This is by Bruce Golding. This is from the 30th of October of this year, obviously. Um, I would challenge you to read this article, and then everywhere you see Donald Trump, replace that with Joe Biden. And everywhere you see Joe Biden, replace that with Donald Trump. And everywhere you see Hunter Biden, replace that with Don Jr., Trump's son, who is very much in the media's face ever since even before Donald Trump got elected. Don Jr. is all over the news media. He's younger, he's more energetic, and he just does not give a crap. He says exactly what he wants to say to whoever he wants to say it to. So just replace those names and imagine if this was a scandal or even the hint of a scandal, there's a smoke of a scandal coming out against Trump right now. And then can you imagine a world where the, the present day news media doesn't jump all over that and try to use it as something to, to beat another thing to beat Trump up over? And so with that in mind, I'm reading this article and Glenn Greenwald is saying how he, I mean, he's a co-founder of this very large or at least well-known, especially since 2014, um, between the intercept and I think it was, uh, the guardian, they're the ones who really exposed all the Edward Snowden papers. Uh, the, uh, he was a whistleblower. And so when you've got a large outlet and you are a co-founder and you start writing articles, so once you, you turn from a small little you know, blog or whatever it is, when you start turning in actual news articles where you are a journalist – it's not uncommon for somebody like that, for somebody like Glenn to have in his contract that as a part of his employment, if he has a story that he wants to run with, that he can run with it and he can supersede certain types of edits that other writers would not. I mean, it makes sense if you've started a news outlet and now you've allowed, you know, you've, you're a company now, so you've got investors, you've got shareholders, You've got a board. There's certain approval avenues you've got to go through. But as a founder, 
it was in his contract that he would be able to supersede some of those edits. So he is saying, uh, and, I'll, and I'll quote him in just a second, that he is being unduly censored and it is violating journalistic integrity. He's saying um, that The Intercept, which he co-founded in 2014, quote, censored an article I wrote this week, refusing to publish it unless I remove all sections critical of Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden. And then this is not in quotes, but just keep in mind, replace Joe Biden with Donald Trump in your head and think about the standards that would that would apply. So he says censored. The quote says censored an article I wrote this week, refusing to publish it unless I remove all sections critical of Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden, the candidate vehemently supported by all New York based intercept editors involved in this effort at suppression. So what what this has done with so many news outlets coming out and saying that this is just a nothing burger of a story. It has allowed Joe Biden to not have to answer questions about it. And whenever somebody does allude to maybe asking this question of him about the laptop of hunters, he gets angry. Watch the videos. I mean, he gets angry. Like, how dare you call me out on this? And I'm sorry, but no person, I don't care how long they've been in politics. I don't care who they know or what they've done. They are not above the questioning of the American people. And you may not, you, you, you may not be able to discern this from their current trajectory, but the American, the uh, American news media is supposed to be, it's, it's supposed to be the, the ability of the American people to hold elected representatives accountable. But what it's done is now it is a, is becoming a smokescreen for this Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. Who is Joe Biden? What is he going to do? Why is it that leading up to a debate for three, four, five days, he's he's not coming out and talking to the people? He's on a media blackout, whereas Trump is traveling around, flying around, and meeting with people all over the place five times a day. And so in years past, no matter who the presidential candidate would be, it's like, all right, man, you know, I agree with you, but as a journalist, I've got to run with this story. I'm sorry. And then, yeah, there might be some softball questions thrown, but at least the information is out there. But what's happening now, and we'll get into this a little bit further on the next topic that we're going to talk about, what technology and the internet has allowed us to do, we've all been kind of sucked into the social media world. And what that has done is it's not like everybody's reading the same book. We've all been handed one or two pages of the same book, where now you've got to coordinate with hundreds and hundreds of people for everybody to see the whole picture, not to mention the fact that, oh, some of those pages were actually burned and nobody's actually got that information. Put that onto a technological scale. So many people, myself included at times, go to Facebook for news. It has become a public square of sorts. And... They are able to, through the search algorithms and even through manual manipulation, they can control what articles you see and which ones you don't. And they can control which articles are sponsored and promoted and put out there and others they can demonetize and blacklist where, yeah, okay, I get to, I can log into my Facebook and post an article and it says posted, but nobody's ever going to see it. And that's what we're working against. That's what the American people are working against. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or whatever. You are working against social media. Maybe not now, 
But in the future, at first, they didn't come for me and I said nothing. But then when they did come for me, there was nobody left to defend me. If you've heard that quote, you know exactly what that means, where that's going. You have to speak up for freedom of speech, period. Not freedom of speech for this group or this subgroup or this person or this party or this religion or this faith base or this anti-faith base, whatever it is. We live in a country where we are supposed to be allowed to say what we want without any caveat, without any yes, but like, no freedom of spe- freedom of speech, period. But that's not what we're seeing in today's political climate. And so I bring this story to you not to say definitively Joe Biden is corrupt. I have my opinions, obviously. But the fact is that we have to investigate to even get to the facts. And what happened was the question was raised, is Biden corrupt? Yes or no? And then more information has been coming out steadily and steadily. And then all of a sudden, the laptops. And then it was, hey, don't talk about that. Even from the Biden family, there was never a denial. It was a uh, this is this is a hit job. Don't don't even listen to it. And so again, I have to I have to ask, what if this was Donald Trump and, and Don Jr.? I cannot imagine that half of the country and the news media would be acting the same way they're acting now, and vice versa. If this story was originally about Trump and Don Jr. I could imagine there'd be plenty of people on the right, even within the right news media, that would be trying to run and cover for it, and that would be equally as wrong. That's the point. That's the principle right there. There is a question that needs answering, and I don't care what side of the political spectrum you come from, the American people have the right to answers and to ask questions. So that's as far as we'll get onto that. But back to the social media, to the big tech censoring and the surge algorithms and all that stuff. I watched that movie Fahrenheit 451, which is, of course, based off the book. I, I had heard of the book. I still know nothing about the author of the book. I don't know anything about the book. My wife is reading it, and she's like, oh, we got to watch this show. Fifteen minutes in, she's sawing logs. Uh, I mean, quietly sleeping, obviously. And I ended up watching the movie, and I ended up loving it. Uh, of course, my political brain was just going. I was writing notes like crazy. It was just, it was my cup of tea, obviously. And I'm sorry to say that I probably won't get to that Tucker Carlson article from the New York Post about the uh, Hunter Biden documents that disappeared and then this morning were found. Honestly, I'd like to read up a little bit more on that before I say anything. So let's get through the election um, later this week or next week or something. I will include that on uh, a future episode. So don't think that I'm just either forgetting or intentionally omitting it. There's just, there's a lot of developing on it. And I spent a lot of time on these other articles. So um, we'll get to it. Don't worry. But uh, anyway, so let's, let's go on to this Fahrenheit 451 movie that I watched. If you don't know the plot or um, of the book, it's basically, I'll, I'll give you the pitch my wife gave me. It was, so all of the firefighters for the country have been essentially repurposed to burn books. Books are like the number one, probably like the only contraband. At the, It's kind of a dystopian, not so distant future. Think Westworld. Um, if, if you've watched any of those or like a, uh, what is it, Divergent, I think, leading up to a um, 
Hunger Games type scenario. Anyways, so books now, any sort of print is outlawed and uh, or not not necessarily any type. So obviously the, the ones that are deemed dangerous or whatever, obviously like Mein Kampf and things like that. Some of the, um, the classics out there uh, have in the story been banned. And so all the print copies have been burned, or at least that's, that's their goal is to burn all the print copies. And then anything that is online is obviously it's online. So it's been um, edited, revised or whatever to, to suit the current political climate. Or what have you. So um, so the movie, uh, first preface this, some of my notes, I'm, i got to skip over because honestly I was so confused. I thought it was a show. I was, obviously I was in kind of like a Westworld um, frame of mind just because of how it's presented in the movie. And I was thinking, oh, this is going to be really cool, like a long drawn out dystopian series. And then the, the plot starts really going by and I'm like, dang, I have no idea where this is going. And uh, so some of my notes are pretty confused. But then I realized, oh, this is an hour and a half movie. So anyways, um, I was doing a little bit of self-reflection um, while I was watching it. And I was I wrote something here. My hope is to stop experiencing and start understanding. Stop talking and start learning. To understand is to be liberated. Ignorance is slavery. Even the free seek possession and ownership. And so there's a certain part in the show, and I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but one of the characters who is obviously, you know, like a rebel or whatever, um, has a room that's hidden from the police and everything. And somebody else goes in the room and starts touching stuff. And she says, hey, no, please don't do that. Kind of like a, that's mine. Don't think that you can just go in there. Which, if you think about it, some of this censorship and things like that would have to coincide with the, you know, basically the destruction of property, which has already begun. That's a, another episode. <laughs> but um, me, more per, more personally, you know, I'm I, I'm kind of in this point where I want to start. I want to do things. You know, I don't want to just talk about it or think about it or just hypothesize. I don't want to experience something because that kind of puts control into whatever it is that's happening. I want to understand what's happening so I can either take part in it or contribute or fight against whatever. Um, I want understanding. Stop talking about things and start learning as I'm recording a new podcast. Um, but what this is kind of forcing me to do is to research my viewpoints or any article or news clip that I'm going to play. I want to understand it before I just present it blindly. And so that, that kind of coincides something that they alluded to is um, languages where the, the world had a certain number of thousands of different unique languages. Whereas in this dystopian future, there's far, you know, significantly less individual languages. And what that kind of coincides with is something I wrote. Languages are a tool to freedom. It's our ability to communicate with like-minded individuals without necessarily being understood by just anybody and everybody. I mean, just think about um, our grandparents trying to read some of our tweets or our Facebook messages. You know, it, it's almost like a different language. Um, you know, they're, they're saying now how like we're using emojis a lot. And so that's us reverting back to kind of like pictography. It's, it's pretty cool. But um, in the movie art, 
music and expression are avenues of freedom. Just having kind of that, that individuality. Music was a big one, which kind of led me to thinking, you know, if I want the freedom, um, the freedoms that I want, you know, freedom of expression is the big one uh, that I wrote here. If I want freedom of expression, I have to uh, allow that or not even allow, but I have to accept that my degree of freedom of expression, somebody else with a completely opposing viewpoint might be exercising their freedom of ex expression. And so then I was thinking, well, you know, you see a lot of people talking about restricting freedoms, but they're use, utilizing their freedom of speech to do that, you know, protesting and things like that. So I was kind of turning the mirror back on myself and on my own culture, whereas, you know, I wrote the question out almost to myself, whose music have you said should be banned lately? Not that I've ever been in favor of banning music, but what is somebody else doing that you're like, oh, they shouldn't be allowed to do that? And so then you start thinking, well, if I'm allowed to do this thing over here, why wouldn't they be allowed to do that thing? So my brain kind of went over the, all over the place with that movie, but I was just starting to apply this free thinking kind of enlightened type um, mindset, start applying that to different points in my life and thinking, well, where am I being intolerant or where am I saying, well, my book or my viewpoint or my method of expressing myself is allowed, whereas somebody else's may not be. And you can get into the whole, you know, just a, a plethora of social disputes we're having right now. And how much of that really is just somebody else's expression of freedom or uh, individuality or love? <laughs> you can go down that rabbit hole for sure. Um, so in the end, I ended up with this sentence, obviously, you, you've probably heard of it, know thyself. Um, there's a lot of ancient Greek culture and history surrounding that. And it's just understanding who you are. In my mind, I always think of limitations. What are my limitations that I need to be aware of that I can work around or whatever it is? Um, and so that's kind of kind of where my mind went. And then let's see if I can read this without spoiling. Nah, that one I can't really do. I mean, it's two years down the road. Maybe I'll, I'll bring up some more of these notes in another episode. I'll give you time to, to watch it. It's a really worthwhile movie on uh, HBO called Fahrenheit 451. So I think that's about it. Yeah, I think that's going to be it for episode two. Like I said, all the uh, articles <clears throat> that I referenced, it's all in the show notes, uh, whether you're using uh, whatever podcast app you're using. Um, that's, so that'll be it. Thanks for tuning in for episode two. We'll be back hopefully tomorrow for episode three. We'll see what happens with the election, and that's going to dictate much of the conversation into the uh, the near and somewhat distant future. So we'll see. Take care. Y'all stay safe. Stay safe.